Hey, writers, join our first draft weekly writers club. We meet every Tuesday from 12 to 1 Eastern time. For more information, go to writingclassradio.com and click on the classes tab. I'm Allison Langer. I'm Zaire. I'm Andrea Askowitz, and this is Writing Class Radio. You'll hear true personal stories and learn about how to write your own stories. Together, we produce this podcast, which is equal parts heart and art. By heart, we mean the truth in a story. By art, we mean the craft of writing. No matter what's going on in our lives, writing class is where we tell the truth. It's where we work out our shit. There's no place in the world like writing class, and we want to bring you in. This is the ninth episode in a 10-part series inspired by the people I taught memoir writing in a men's prison. This series will bring you stories written by my former memoir students, as well as formerly incarcerated and currently incarcerated people from around the United States. Their experiences and voices, like those of many incarcerated people, are often marginalized and unheard. To help us get this right, Zaire has been here contributing his feedback and commentary throughout the series as co-host, along with Andrea and me. Zaire is a poet, musician, actor, and teaching artist who teaches writing and poetry in school and juvenile detention facilities. Zaire has also lent us the music for this series. Hi, Zaire. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I've said this before, but I want to say this again, uh, that because this is important, we want to be respectful to those who've been personally affected by violence. We don't mean to sensationalize crime or someone who breaks the law. Instead, we want to share stories. We believe stories lead to understanding. And if there's something we need more of these days, it's understanding. Yeah, that's for sure. On episode 115, which was the first episode in this series, we went into detail about our motivation and hope for airing these stories. I told my story of meeting Too Tall and some of the other men you heard from in the series. Please listen to that episode and all the previous ones if you haven't already. On today's episode, you'll hear a story by a former student who is still incarcerated. For security reasons, he calls himself Nameless. Back after the break. We're back. This is Andrea Askowitz, and you're listening to Writing Class Radio. Here's Nameless, reading his story, Observation. The thick, dank air hits me like reality did some 15 years ago when this nightmare began. I had become an addict, running on cocaine and drowning in alcohol and my mother's prayers. My addiction was totally unsustainable. So when the money ran out, burglary seemed a logical secondary income. A crime spree blurred binge became a 23-year sentence in Florida's Department of Corrections. But this is a new experience. Remarkable in the perpetual vacuum millions of incarcerated people in America enter but never get the chance to leave. I have never been to this part of any prison. The door I entered has many warnings and labels. Observation, negative airflow, isolation. The words as I read them are unsettling. I have been in fights with weapons, shanks and locks attached to canteen bags or socks. But this is a different type of omnius. I feel tense and every fiber in my being screams against going any further, but I must. I picked up some sort of bed bug and the itching was maddening. I would do anything for it to stop, thus my trip to the infirmary. 
I've been stripped down to my boxers, and the air is chilly but not chilly. I am not used to the luxury of air conditioning, an extravagance most inmates are without. In all my years of confinement, none of the institutions I have resided have been air conditioned. When it's hot outside, I'm hot. When winter air comes, I stay cold until it subsides. Survival. But here I am, the world of the AC lulling me, calling me, chilling me. The observation room is designed especially for inmates prone to hurting themselves. The room is supposed to be sterile, but bare walls that were once white are now grimy and dusty. As I look closer, I see blood in the crevices that were not cleaned properly. There is a raised concrete slab used as a bed and a stainless, ageless steel toilet. From the looks of it, the toilet has never been cleaned. I am used to filth, but I never get used to using a toilet that looks like it has barnacles and other aquatic growth. Observation rooms are designed for observation. The whole entryway of the cell is plexiglass. Now I know how animals at the zoo feel, but humans are unique in our ability to communicate. Countless others have done so by etching their names, gangs, symbols into the plexi. Some elaborate, some simple, but all are a testament that they too have shared this same fate. A strange thing happens when I visit places of extreme pain or violence. I can feel the energy radiating, screaming out the injustice, or is it the oppression? A meeting happens, not a physical one, but it's as if I meet the ghost of that person and all those who partook the same ill fate. Their energy is always present just below the surface. The energy is an emotional residue that keeps violence ever present in places of confinement and mental health institutions. I still ask myself if ghosts are real. The energy certainly is. As I look at all the sprawling, one in particular sticks out. I have to take my time to decipher some of the hastily written words. The message is all too real, potent with honesty and finality. I am sorry, Lord knows I'm sorry. I have tried to be a good man and I have failed. I don't want to do this anymore. This life is too hard. I wish I could tell my children I love them one last time. Tell them they will be better off without me as I go join Grandpa and Grandma. To all who read these words, be better than me. I am sorry. My first reaction is not what I expected. I somehow identify with this broken soul wanting a solution, finding none. Then I looked at my own life and light of his. Truth has never hit me so hard. All my life I thought I was strong, fortified. But as I stand reading his words, I realize I have lied to myself. There have been times in my life when I had no answers for my shortcomings and failures. On one very sad and frightening occasion, three weeks before I was arrested on my burglary charge, I took a yellow-handled hunting knife and ran it over my wrist. Then got mad because the edge was dull. Then scared because I actually hated myself and what I had become. Looking back, suicide has popped its nefarious head up more times than I had realized. There was Jason who huffed Freon, Travis who played Russian roulette, Craig who jumped from the back of a moving pickup truck while drunk, Corey who broke up with his girlfriend, smoked K2 synthetic marijuana and shot himself, Bo who lost his mother and hanged himself using the automatic garage door opener, and countless other friends and cousins who succumbed to drug and alcohol abuse. When I really examined the matter at hand, inmates hurting and alone to manage fears of past or present, I see the frailty of our shared human experience. I am doubly thankful that I am still alive to see another day. 
have a chance to be better and tell someone who might have forgotten that they too are important and still have a chance to be better. I, ha I have a feeling that Sayer is really going to like this one. It's so poetic and, and, and beautiful in that way. It's kind of a roller coaster there. Not, it doesn't really stay, uh, tone-wise, doesn't really stay in one place for too long. It sort of like takes you on a lot of ups and downs there. When I first heard this um, or saw it, I was scared for him. I was really scared. I didn't know where he was. I didn't know what was wrong. I didn't know what he did to get in. Like, I just was so worried about him. And I didn't know if that was pervasive in this, if anybody else felt that, or just because I know him, his well-being is important to me. And I know what a smart, intelligent, like, he's just such a go-getter and he's so kind and there's so many good things about him that when he was, his, even in his voice, he was so troubled and depressed. And I was like, I'm worried this guy's going to hurt himself. Even though he says he's grateful to be alive, I'm like a little worried. I feel like maybe that might not last the night, that feeling. It did end on a more um, hopeful note, though, to me. I, I felt like he's saying that he's thankful and that he's thankful that he has the chance to tell someone else to be better the way that someone told him to be better. You mean the person who was uh, written on the wall, the person who wrote that on the wall? Yeah, so he read Be Better, but now I, I felt like, I think the end was saying that he's thankful that st he still has the chance to tell someone else to be better. Is that is that how it ended? Maybe he's going to tell somebody else to be better, but I feel like... Um... That by him being better, so let's read it. I'm doubly thankful that I'm still alive to see another day, have a chance to be better and to tell someone who might have forgotten that they are too important and still have a chance to be better. Yeah, so you're right. Like he just wants to get out of here, get out into the world. And I know he only has a couple more years to go, although I know daily this trauma and this torture and this humiliation and it's two years probably feels like an eternity. But I know that when he gets out, he will be better and he will help people get better. And I feel like so many of the guys could do that too. Like most of these people who really grown up inside could really come out and help so many people because people will listen to them. I feel like people who are making mistakes right now and Zaire, this is directed at you. Some of the people that you teach that they, they don't know that it's possible that they will evolve from this. They're so caught in it. Yeah, absolutely. One thing that that's really stood out to me was the, the observation room. For, for for me, and, you know, I feel like a lot of people around me and where I'm from, being watched, it's a startling thing. If, if I'm in a room and I notice that someone's looking at me for too long, I start to get very cautious. Um, and I know that's in, in school, I, I got into an argument with a, with a classmate of mine because he, he thought I was looking at him. Like that's that's what we argued about. He thought I was looking at him. He's like, what are you looking at me for? It's a startling thing. So the idea of being in a room where there's nowhere to hide, you have no privacy, someone is constantly looking at you. It's different when it's it's you're in a room and there's a and there's a camera because you you know someone's looking at you, but you can't see them. 
But the idea of constantly being able to see someone watching you and not being able to do anything about it, it's, oh my goodness, it's horrifying to me. Well, one of the things that I thought he did so well was he rendered that feeling, but also he showed us so vividly what the infirmary looks like and felt like, and just disgusting. All of the stories that that we've heard have given me a much more vivid sense of what it looks like and feels like on the inside. But this part where um, just like the description of the, the toilet, the observation, negative airflow, isolation, like it was scary. I was walking in with him feeling really scared. Even the way the air conditioning felt chilly, but not chilly. God, that was so good. And then how the the whole room was supposed to be sterile, but then there was blood in the crevices and it was dusty and gross. Just disgusting. Like I'm I'm like, damn, it feels bad. I wanted to go to the part where um, with this part really drew me in and I was just like, wow, the observation part where he talked about feeling animal. We talked about feeling like, like understanding how animals feel like trapped in a zoo. And then right after that, he talked about humans are unique in our ability to communicate. I thought that was so interesting because I actually heard that as um, in a weird way. And this is so, tell me what you think of this idea. So I thought that he was, I wanted to go back to that because I thought he was saying humans are unique in our ability to communicate, but are unique because we want to be seen. And maybe that is just true for some humans. But the reason why that's how I heard it was because I understood that other people were writing on the plexiglass so that they could be heard or seen. That's how I took that. Yeah. But you're just saying that, no, no, not everybody wants to be seen. Sometimes we want to be invisible. No, no, I didn't get that from Zaire. I think he doesn't want to be seen when he doesn't know who's looking sometimes. He didn't request to be observed, right? So there's something unnerving about somebody just watching you and judging you. These guys, I felt like that are writing are saying, you won't wipe me out without me letting people know I was here. Yeah, I think that's, you know, for some, that's it. Uh, For some, you know, it's the wanting to be seen. What I get from that, this is going to sound really plain, but I think it's it's not having anything else to do. Just being there constantly with nothing, just walls and a toilet. You have nothing else to do. So why not, you know, scratch on the plexiglass and um, leave something? And if that something that you leave happens to help someone up, help, help the next person that's in there, then that's a, that's a plus. I also have another thought about it, maybe. But maybe you're right. Maybe it's simply like there's nothing else to do. But maybe it's like this feeling of like, don't look at me in a way that I don't want you to see me. I want you to see this about me. And then and then someone leaves a note. This is the thing I want to leave here. I don't want to be walking through this plexiglass feeling like you're looking at me like an animal. I want to be able to have some agency over what what someone sees in my wake. Maybe it's that. Mm. Yeah. Be better than me. I am sorry. Like, the, like there's a real message. I'm not just going to walk through here feeling you know, all itchy and terrible and everyone's looking at me because it's plexiglass. This is Writing Class Radio's attempt at psychology. 
<laughs> and uh, <laughs> I feel like we're a little bit out of our realm unless we're going to have a specialist come on and talk about like the human mind and why we do anything. Why do we write? Why do we care? Why do we spend all day writing a book? You know, like it's the same. We have a need to express ourselves. And I think that's what he's saying. Um, I think writing class radio is always attempt as always attempting to um, step into psychology. That's exactly what writing is. Yeah. That's what breaking down a story is. So yeah, we're stepping out of our lane every single time mm-hmm. we, we discuss, but now we're in that lane. I feel like that's where we do our best work. <laughs> yeah, thanks, good. <laughs> I really thought this story was beautiful and um, I'm not exactly sure what it's about, but uh, that, that part really struck me. You want to talk about what it's about? The other part that really struck me was at the very beginning when he mentioned that he was drowning in his mother's tears. And that's another theme that you pointed out in an earlier episode that the, these guys are so connected to their moms. Yeah. That just breaks my heart in a nice way and oh, and, an, and a sad way. That's probably a whole nother episode. Like the, the one that we spoke about previously, Robert Fell, there's a connection to his dad whether he was a good guy or not. So our parents are always going to make mistakes because like they're human also. But now I can't even remember what the question was. What is the story about? Yeah, but I just I just wanted to jump in and say that I that I'm really moved by these guys who mention their moms so yeah. often. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure what this story is about. Zaire, what do you think? It sort of felt like a confessional. Not necessarily in in anything being confessed, but more so just venting. And that's where I feel like what I was mentioning, the, you know, the the roller coaster of emotions and how it doesn't doesn't stick to one thing for too long. It sort of feels like a like a little bit of a, like a diary entry, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It does feel like a diary entry too, but we always want to kind of bring a story to a higher level than that. I keep thinking it's kind of about being seen. That's how, it, that's what it's about for me. And then that goes back to what we were talking about before, how we all have our different interpretations of stories so often. For me, this story is about finally being honest with himself, that he's made excuses maybe, or he's seen all these people die and he's lived a tough life in some respects, but it's time for him to start taking responsibility for himself and telling himself the truth and to really figure out who he is as a person and how he wants to move forward in life. And I think that's part of maturity. And that's why it all goes back to aging out of crime. These guys absolutely begin to realize like, wait, who am I living for here? Why is it worth living? What do I want to do? What's my purpose? That question, I I never asked myself that until I was definitely in my 20s. What question? You never ask yourself, what's your purpose? What's my purpose? What am I doing here? What do I, what do I want to get out of life? Who am I? right? There's that self-discovery. But if you don't get a chance to go through that, or you're going through that in prison, that's where you're going to make your self-discovery. And then when you come out the other side and you're ready to get back into the world and really be the person that you are, for these guys, for many of them, it's too late. I see that. And I think that I'm starting to understand what I'm what I got from it a little bit more too. I feel like it's him wrestling with that, do I want to be here question. He goes into depths about all the people that that have been lost. He's surrounded by death and that messes with a person. And especially when you're when you're confined and like I was mentioning earlier, being observed 24-7. Now all you have to do is sit there 
and go through that in front of an audience. And the entire piece reads like him going back and forth. Is this worth it? Do I want to continue? Is this uh, going to be the end of me or is it just uh, another benchmark or stopping point? What am I going to get from this once I'm out of it, if I get out of it? And I think that's where that revelation at the end comes from, is him finally making that decision like, yes, I'm going to stick it out. This is going to be worth it. I'm going to find out what, who, I'm, who I'm going to be out, outside of here. So the situation is Guy goes to the infirmary. And then the story is Guy comes out with like a, yes, I want to live. And maybe I'll be able to tell someone else, as I tell myself, be better. Yeah. I was just trying to um, summarize what, as I hear, helped me figure out. That's, I think, what the story is for me. And now I understand why the plexiglass part is there, but it really is to get him through the next part, which is all about the people who died of suicide. And that's why, Allison, I think you really felt it like this guy's in danger because he was contemplating. But then in the very end, I really feel like he's stepping through it. This story, I love this story. <sighs> a look inside the mind of somebody who's willing to share it with us in the struggle. And anybody who's struggling knows that one day you're feeling like, yeah, I can do this. And the next minute you're not. But when you're surrounded by friends who can boost you and pick you up and good influences and books and, and resources, it's a little bit easier. So it it scares me because, yeah, right now at the end of this, is he's doing okay. But what does that mean for tomorrow? And I'm worried because, of course, I want to jump in and fix it. I want to help. I want to be there. And I can't contact him. So it's tough. And I'm sure his family feels the same way. Thank you, Nameless, for sharing your story. And thank you for listening. Writing Class Radio is produced by Allison Langer, Zaire, me, Andrea Askowitz, and by Matt Kundle, Evan Sorminski, and Courtney Fox at the Sound Off Media Company. Music by Zaire and Marnino Toussaint. There's more Writing Class on our website, writingclassradio.com. There you can find video classes, essays to study, and editing resources. If you love the lessons you get on each episode, you can get them all in one place on our three-part video series for just $50. Click video classes on our website. If you want to be a part of the movement that helps people better understand each other through storytelling, follow us on Patreon. For $10 a month, I will answer all your publishing questions. For $25 a month, you can join Allison's First Draft Weekly Writers Group, where you will write to a prompt and share your work. That meets every Tuesday from 12 to 1 Eastern. To join, go to patreon.com slash writingclassradio. The first class is always free. To get into the first class, email us at info at writingclassradio.com and we'll send you the link. A new episode will drop every other Wednesday. So listen for us. There's no better way to understand ourselves and each other than by writing and sharing our stories. Everyone has a story. What's yours? Produced and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company. 
I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from jeffwoodsradio.com.